Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. As I prepared for the time together, I came across a quote that made me stop and think. It seemed appropriate to today's passage and to our Lenten journey together, so I want to share it. So, here it is. What is deadly to the church is when the external forms of religion are maintained while their substance is discarded. This we call practical atheism. Practical atheism appears when we live as if there were no God. The externals continue. What would that be? Gathering together, singing songs, praying prayers. The externals continue. But man becomes the central thrust of devotion. As the attention of religious concern shifts away from man's devotion to God, shifts to man's devotion to man. Bypassing God. The ethic of Christ continues in a superficial way, having been ripped from its supernatural, transcendent, and divine foundation. Practical atheism, outward confession, but internal disbelief, and other-directed devotion. Secret distrust of God manifesting and trusting in my or our own ability rather than God. I have never met a person, including the person standing in front of you, who could not be tested on this point, ever. I've never met a person flawless in withstanding that test until I met Christ. He was tested, but he stayed his course perfectly as a man. Yes, he was the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God come and put on our skin. But he lived as a human and he stayed his course perfectly. Today I want to look at how he did that and maybe a little bit of why. So let's look at St. Matthew's account of it together. Good man. I like to yell when I come in church. That's a good thing. Let's pray and then look at St. Matthew's account of it. Father, we ask for your help now. We are your sheep. You're our shepherd. We are the flock, the people of your pasture. We are a kingdom of priests who struggle in so many ways. But we are yours, and you are good. So help us now as we look to your word to understand your goodness 
and allow that to help us grow in security of our identity in Christ and your love for us and then help it help us move forward together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to go back to the text and I'm just going to walk through it kind of, you know, just a few verses at a time um, just to kind of unpack what was going on. Again, last week I mentioned that Matthew was writing a motif that we think of as a new Exodus motif. Looking back to the first Exodus when God's people were delivered from Egypt and things that happened with them in the wilderness, Matthew is not just writing about three specific temptations. He's, he's taken the temptation narrative of what happened in the wilderness with Jesus and he's connected it, if you will, to this, new, this, this first Exodus story showing the new exodus that God's people are walking into and, and walking in in Jesus. And he gives us, he shows us specific ways where Israel, God's people coming out of Egypt, headed toward the promised land, failed. And Jesus, being tempted in much the same way, did not fail. So I want to look at that, and then I just want to think about this. How does that give us hope today? Specifically, really, personally and corporately, how does that give us hope today to overcome and stand against practical atheism? Okay, so let's look at it together. Having approached the tester, he said to him, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Having approached, I should have put a comma in there. The tester said to him, since you are the son of God, speak in order that these stones might become bread. Then in reply, he, Jesus said, it stands written, not by bread alone will a man live, but by every saying coming out of the mouth of God. You have to remember that right here, we're stepping into the wilderness with Jesus and his fasting and his hunger, and then he's confronted by the tester. But where did he come from? He was just baptized. And when he was baptized, what does it say? Remember, the heavens opened up and there was a declaration, an astonishing declaration amazing declaration made over him that is also good news for us who are in him. This is my son in whom, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's just happened. So where does the enemy go? Okay, let's uh, poke that identity and see what comes out. Let's see what happens. Since you're the son of God and you've been out here and you're hungry, you're fasting, why don't you just go ahead and turn these stones into bread? What's the devil getting after there? Self-preservation. Trusting Jesus' own ability and arm and identity for his own sake rather than for the glory of the Father. The glory of the Father was what he was after with the fast. Fasting is a time set apart so that we can turn our attention, our focus more towards God. Jesus was doing that. So the enemy comes to see, okay, let's see what he's going to do when I do this. I'll test him here. And Jesus responds, and Matthew records, he responds from Deuteronomy when it was said that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Matthew's remembering and connecting to a time when God's people had been delivered from Egypt, were wandering in the wilderness with Moses, and they got hungry. God even says in the Old Testament that he allowed them to do this and get hungry to test their heart to see what would happen. And what happened? They grumbled, they complained, they distrusted. And they actually went so far as to say, would that you had left us in Egypt where we sat by the meat pots and we could die by the hand of Yahweh there. You know who died by the hand of Yahweh in Egypt? The firstborn of the pagans who would not submit to God's deliverance against the angel of death in the Passover. So they're literally saying, we who were delivered by Passover, by God's providence and provision and love, we who were rescued after living in this land, sojourning for 400 years, and then here toward the end of it, a Pharaoh that didn't remember Joseph turned us into slaves. We'd rather go back there and let God kill us like he did the Egyptians. Instead, you drug us out here in the desert. Do you hear the heart attitude there? They would rather make their own decision and do this other thing than walk according to the will of God. It was heartbreaking to Moses. It was epiphany. God saw their heart in that moment. Well, what does Jesus do? No. It stands written. God will provide for me. Just like he provided for the people. Even when they did that, I'm not doing that. I'm going to trust my father. That's what Jesus did. Then it goes on down a little bit. It says this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the wing of the temple. That's kind of a, a pinnacle or a jutted out place, kind of like a tip, if you will, of the temple. And he said to him, since you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it stands written. Do you hear what he did right there? That's classic spin. I heard what you said. I've assimilated it now. Now I'm going to pitch it back at you. Since, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it stands written. He will give orders concerning you to his angels, and by their power they will lift you up so that you will not even strike your foot against a stone. He took the Bible. Psalm 91, wasn't it? Took the Bible pulled it out of context, and used it for his own agenda. How did Jesus respond? Jesus resumed saying, again, it stands written, you must not test the Lord your God. That's amazing. He didn't even balk. And what Matthew is remembering there and connecting to is another time in the wilderness journey when God's people came to a place called Rephidim. And when they came there, they were thirsty and they needed water. This time, it actually records in the text that they were so angry that they were about ready to kill Moses. Moses goes before the Lord. And he's like, these people are ready to stone me. God gives him instruction to go out, and that's another sermon that we won't get into. But God miraculously provides water for them from a rock. It's a beautiful picture. But you know what that place came to be known as? It came to be known as Massa and Meribah. Massa means test, and Meribah means quarreling. 
And before we go, yeah, well, he reminded us not to do that. No, 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 no. That's a mark right there saying, this grieved me. I want you to remember forever, my people, that this is not the way. You were about to kill my servant Moses, who had come to help and deliver you. But I'm going to take the blow. I'll stand in front of the rock. He'll swing the stick. I'll get hit. And then you will get water. That's what happened in the wilderness. And the specific thing that was going on there was they actually tested God. They tested him because they doubted his character and doubted his presence. It's in chapter 17 of Exodus, if you want to read it, toward, toward the middle of the chapter when it gets to the end of this little story. They said, is Yahweh with us or not? They've seen the plagues in Egypt. They've walked through the Red Sea. They've tasted manna and quail. Is he with us or not? Short memory. Right? But they tested him. And by the way, if you want to link that to when we read the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, we think that means lead us not to the devil tempting us. No, no, no. Lead us not into doing what our ancestors did at Rephidim where we test you by doubting you. That's what that means in the Lord's Prayer. And then it goes on down. Again, this one. Even when it was read a minute ago, as many times as I've seen this and studying it this week, Bill, when you read it a second ago, I literally viscerally went, wow. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Now, you need to know, the devil could do this. He could offer up the goods because he had authority over the earth. Jesus came to put the hammer on that. And the enemy was offering him another way. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said to him, All these to you I shall give. Okay, you can have it. If by falling down as a sign of devotion, you render worship to me. That's the part that he said to the Son of God, to the Messiah who's come, that cross is going to hurt. I got another plan. I will give you what you've come to rule, what you've come to take back. But you don't have to do all that stuff. You just fall down and worship me. We'll sort this out. Idolatry. Allegiance to anyone but God. Devotion. Service to the devil. Matthew is connecting back again to a time right as God's people were getting ready to enter into the promised land. 
And there was a charge given to them to make sure they didn't forget that it was Yahweh who had delivered them. It was Yahweh who had loved them and cared for them. It was Yahweh to whom they as a people belonged as his firstborn son, his people. And when they entered into this land, do not forsake him. Do not give your allegiance to any other God, any other kingdom, any other way. And they did. Go back and read the Old Testament time and again. It's why all the prophets ended up having to come. They're trying to say, stop it. Return. Return. Turn back. So Satan comes at the Son of God. Says, since that's who you are, let's do this this way. And, and Jesus says, out of my presence, Satan. We think of Satan as a personal pronoun, like it's a name. It's a descriptor. Out of my presence, Satan, for it stands written, it is the Lord your God you must worship, and him only you must serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came to him and began to serve and take care of him. Self-preservation. Do this. You're the son of God. Turn these stones into bread. Do this your way. Jesus, no, I trust my father. And I live by his word. That's the life-giving stuff. The food I need, he'll provide that for me. But I'm focused here. Testing God, doubting his Love for him, his presence, doubting his character. You see, with us or not, the enemy doesn't go so overtly in this one. He goes after Jesus saying, he's not going to let anything happen to you. Just do this. But Jesus sniffed it out immediately. That's a test. You're telling me to test God. God did not put his people here to test him, and I will not do it. Then Satan comes just... He just throws the whole thing down. Then worship me and we'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you everything. You get away from me. I will worship God only. Jesus passed tests that God's people failed in that first exodus from Egypt. Their responses revealed what I was trying to talk about in the beginning, a sense of practical atheism. Things that they had encountered, ways that they thought, did not lead them to trust in God. Jesus was different. It led him to be, to reveal that he was deeply rooted, that that identity that God had spoken about him was deeply rooted in the very person of God, and the very will of God. I think a question for us to ask is, how about us? Really. Not not in a shaming way. But part of the Lenten experience is kind of like, I was trying to think of it, so if this isn't a great analogy, y'all just have to forgive me. It's kind of like checking the oil in an engine. You, You take... 
Go to your engine, right? And if your engine is your heart, if that's our heart as a people, and loving God, loving one another, and all the good fruit that comes out of that is the oil. Lent is like a time when you pull the dipstick and look at it. And if it's low or corroded, you do business with God about it. You go, hey, I just see where we're not doing so good or I'm not doing so good. I would like help. And it's where we together come and do that and help one another. It's not meant to go, well, look at that dipstick, you know, you just whatever, guys. Why can't you get it to get? It's not shame. Christ, when you pulled the dipstick out of his heart, it was clean, pure every time. That's not so true for us in the way we behave. But there is good news in it. When we're tested, and if we find ourselves off, please remember this. We who believe in Jesus are in the flawless one. We're in him. We have been given by the grace and power of God, the Holy Spirit, to help us. And we've been given community so that we might receive that and help one another. And we have God's... This is an important point. God be with them. We have God's promise and commitment, His devotion that He revealed when He said, the good work that I've begun in you, I will carry it on to completion. Don't despair. I'm doing that. Receive that promise and walk in that. So let's be tested instead of testing God. We're safe to be tested in Jesus, brothers and sisters. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you feel that angst, there's a reason you do. And it's because you need Christ. Every human does. All of us do. Come into the covenant family in Jesus and follow him with us. Let's be tested instead of testing God. Let's help one another trust him to persevere us. Let's help one another do that instead of doubting his character. And let's grow together in worshiping and serving him only. Lent is a time given for us to particularly slow down together and pay attention to this. Jesus passed every test and in him we are free to allow God to continue to move and grow us until we become together like his son. That is good news. Amen. You've been listening to the Mission Red Bank podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you, and may God's blessings surround you.